What happens when the Holy Spirit converges on a generation and decides to do spectacular, unprecedented things? Then something happens like what we have called the Jesus Revolution. And I'm going to share with you some of the things that happened in my life during that pivotal era. There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. Last week on Revealing the True Light, I shared with you about how I was converted in 1970 during the Jesus Movement era, and then about five months later, how, along with another brother in the Lord, I gave away everything I owned with the intent, with the purpose of being a true disciple, forsaking all in order to reach this world with the gospel. We traveled a thousand miles from Oviedo, Florida, to Bloomington, Indiana, hitchhiking and going days without food, sometimes sleeping out in the woods. It was a very sacrificial life. But we had this outbreak of revival in Bloomington. And out of that harvest of souls, there was about a half a dozen that wanted to travel with us in our van. And so we took off across the country in an old Volkswagen van. And on this episode, I'm going to share with you some of the really interesting things that happened during those beginning months. Well, we decided we wanted to go to some revival over in West Virginia. Unfortunately, though, the van we were traveling in wasn't really dependable. And the transmission was going out and the first and second gear popped out of gear if they were under too much pressure. And of course, when you're driving through West Virginia, it's one hill after the next. And we would get uh, we would get about halfway up a hill and have to gear down to second gear or first gear and it would start popping out of place. And so all of us except the driver would have to pile out of the van, get behind the van and push it on up to the crest of the hill. And then as it started going down the other side, we'd run around and jump in the side door and coast down to the bottom. And we'd do that over and over and over again. Well, what does that illustrate? That if you really want to do something for God, you won't accept any limitations. I get amused when I hear people talk about how they're finally going to go out into ministry when they get a nice RV or this or that in place. We didn't have any money. We didn't have a functional vehicle, but we had a passion to reach the lost and to do something significant for the kingdom of God. Now, the thumbnail picture on the video on YouTube shows me, uh, you may not have recognized that, but it shows me in a picture from the back where I've got a blue jean jacket on and there's a ball of fire on the jacket and around it, it says Holy Ghost Fire. And in the front, was the name of Jesus emblazoned and a big cross. And that became, in a sense, my insignia. It became uh, 
kind of uh, something people recognized and associated with me. A lot of the people that travel with me had blue jean jackets too with different Jesus signs on it. So when we walked into a downtown area where there was a lot of drug trafficking or something like that, they knew what we stood for. Now the picture that I'm referring to is actually from a newspaper article in Gastonia, North Carolina where I was preaching after a tent meeting every night about 10 o'clock in the parking lot of the Shoney's restaurant. And it got to the point where four or 500 people were gathering every night to hear the afterglow or the after church sermon in the parking lot. And dozens of people were getting saved that never would have come to the service itself. We've got to reach outside the walls of our churches if we're going to take this generation for the kingdom of God. And the Gastonia Gazette came out and did a story on me. It was the first of many stories through the years to come. And they referenced me, or the caption under the picture called me, the Shoney's Parking Lot Preacher Boy. That kind of stuck for a while. Well, after we were in that city, it wasn't too long after that, we went to Asheville, North Carolina. And I wanted to tell you this story because it's just so significant. We decided to ask the police when we got to Asheville where the worst place in the city was. And this policeman told us, it's Lexington Street. But he said, don't go down on Lexington Street. I said, why not? He said, because we'll find you crammed in a dumpster with your throat slit, robbed and killed and you won't do very well down there. You're in grave danger if you go there. And so I turned around and left the police officer along with one of the guys that was with me. And he hollered out after us. He said, where are you going, preacher? I said, Lexington Street. Of course, it sounds like they need our help down there. And he just shook his head like as if he was saying, preachers, you can't tell them what to do. <laughs> so anyway, we got down to Lexington Street. I do have to admit, though, I stopped by the little place where we were staying and switched Bibles. Usually when I went straight witness and I carried a little pocket New Testament, but I thought if Lexington Street is that bad, I need the big guns. So I got a family Bible and carried it with me. I mean, huge. There was no mistaking what I had with me. And we got down there and, and split up. We prayed and went to different places on the street. I walked into a bar and put my Bible on the bar, opened it up, ordered a Sprite. And the guy next to me was very drunk, to say the least. And he looked at me kind of bleary-eyed and looked at that Bible and looked at me and looked at that Bible two or three times. He looked back and forth and reached a conclusion. He said, is you a preacher? I said, yes, I am. He said, did you come to preach to me? I said, yes, I did. And then he did something that surprised me. He said, bartender, bring me a beer. We're going to have church over here. Hallelujah. <laughs> I thought, I don't know if this is going to work or not. But just like the sun just started radiating through the clouds, the presence of God started radiating in that bar. It was beautiful. So anyway, I started sharing, and I thought, well, I, I'm not going to hit this guy heavy-handed over his lifestyle to begin with. I'm going to try to reach out to him with compassion. 
So for a little while, I talked about the mercy of God and the goodness of God and the forgiveness of God, and he got teary-eyed. And then all of a sudden, he said, just a minute, hold on, preacher. He said, bartender, bring me another beer. I'm really coming under conviction. I thought, this is not going to work this way. So I said, let's go to Galatians chapter 5. And that particular chapter talks about the works of the flesh. And those works are things like adultery, fornication, lasciviousness, and it works its way down to revelry and drunkenness. And then it goes on to warn those who partake of such will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that's when he pointed his finger at me. He said, preacher, he said, don't condemn me over drinking. He said, my Bible, I know it as good as you do. And my Bible says a little wine for the stomach's sake. I felt like saying, you've had a little bit more than a little wine for your stomach's sake. But I, I finally concluded I wasn't going to reach him. So we went out on the street. And I went out on the street, and some of the others that were with me joined me out on the street. We prayed again, your kingdom come, your will be done, Lord, and started walking down the street just waiting for a divinely orchestrated moment. And then it happened. This guy came crawling out of a bar on his hands and knees, shaking like he was going through some kind of uh, drug overdose, frothing at the mouth. He couldn't even talk hardly. He barely could mouth his words. And he said, preacher, I'm dying. Pray for me. Somebody in the bar had told him there were preachers outside on the street and he should get them to pray for him. So he crawled out. We surrounded him and prayed over him that God would heal him, God would deliver him. Listen, when you get in the trenches to reach the lost, you have got to have the power of God. You can't depend on theology and a nice five-point sermon. Anyway, we cast the demons out of him and away from his life and claimed a miracle for him. And all of a sudden, he looked at me bright-eyed. And he said, I'm not ODing anymore. And he said, I feel a power in the air all around me. I said, that's the sweet Holy Spirit, Jack. He feels even better when he gets on the inside. He said, let's go for it, man. And he lifted his hands and started praising God along with us. And then something very surprising happened. A woman that hardly had any clothes on, a little tiny pink halter top and pink uh, hot pants, ran across the road and threw her arms around him and said, Oh, Jack, I'm so happy for you. Oh, Jack, I'm so happy for you. I didn't know what was going on, but I knew God was in it. And so I grabbed her hand and I said, Why don't you get what Jack just got? And she fell on her knees in the midst of whiskey bottles and beer cans laying in the gutter there and started praying through. Little did I know she'd been raised Church of God. She'd been born again and filled with the Holy Spirit until she was about 13 years old. And then she started messing around sexually and smoking pot. And then she told me I never planned on becoming a heroin addict, but pot led to pills and pills led to shooting up heroin. And then shooting up heroin led to prostitution. And she said, now I live a miserable life of selling my body on the streets of Asheville just to get my habit every day. And anyway, she prayed through. She really sought God. And 
and started, I could tell she was feeling the presence of God and he was forgiving her. His mercy endures forever. And he said, as far as the East is from the West, so far has he removed our transgression from us. I don't care if you've been in the depth of sin like that prostitute, he is ready and willing to forgive. Well, all of a sudden, two more candidates for salvation showed up. A couple of, I guess they were winos that lived on the street for years because it looked like they'd had the same clothes on for months and months and months, tattered and torn. And uh, forgive me for being blunt, but it looked like dried vomit on their shirts and, and, and unkempt and unshaven, rough looking dudes, rough looking dudes. And one of them looked at me and he said, would the Jesus that's helping those two people help us? Because we're just, we're just the scum of the earth. We're nobodies. And I said, you're the very reason Jesus came and reached up and grabbed both of their hands. And they fell on their knees and started praying through. And we started praying over them. And then a backslidden Baptist preacher came up. And he said, fellas, I used to do what you guys are doing. And then for no reason, my wife left me and went off into the world. And my church blamed me for it, even though I had nothing to do with it. She went back into sin. I wanted to keep serving God, but they removed me from the pastorate. And well, he said, I took one beer because I thought maybe that would ease my anxiety. And he said, I haven't stopped drinking since. It's been about two years now. Every day I've had... Uh, beer after beer and alcohol and, and overwhelmed with a horrible lifestyle that I'm living. He said, there's voices in my head right now that keep telling me I'm reprobate and I could never get right with God. I reached up and grabbed his hand and said, the gifts and calling of God without repentance. God hasn't changed his mind about you and pulled him down into the circle. So I've got a a person that was overdosing, a prostitute, two winos, and a backslid Baptist preacher. All of them praying through and the glory of God just coming in there on Lexington Street. And then the person I should have been afraid of showed up. The one that police officer was probably warning me against. He was huge, great, big, muscular torso, big bulging biceps. He was about a foot taller than me, I think, at least it looked like that. He towered over me and he came up and introduced himself. He said, my name is Bull. He said, what's going on here? And I thought, they named you right. You look like a big snorting bull ready for a fight. He said, what's going on here? I said, we're having a prayer meeting. He said, nobody holds prayer meetings on Lexington Street. And I got to back up and tell you what attracted him, though. Before he got there, the little girl the ex-prostitute now, started singing Amazing Grace. And all of a sudden, everybody else there in the prayer meeting started singing Amazing Grace with her. And it was an amazing thing that happened because all up and down the street, you couldn't hear the loud, raucous partying going on. You couldn't hear the jukeboxes and the screams and the hollers. All you could hear was amazing grace echoing down Lexington Street. And in my mind, I thought, whoa, I've got the Lexington Street choir singing here. And that's when Bull showed up. And he said, who's in charge here anyhow? I said, I am. He said, come here. I want to talk to you. 
He pointed down this dark alley. And I swallowed hard and thought, well, now's as good a time to be a martyr as any. So I walked with him, and when we got down in the darkest part of the alley, he leaned over. I think he breathed through his teeth while he talked for the dramatic effect. I don't know if he meant to or not intentionally. But he said, Preacher, you realize I was just out to kill a man. If I'd have found him, I'd have killed him. I said, well, I guess you were. He said, you realize I've got weapons in my pocket right now. I said, well, I guess you do. I didn't want to rile him by saying something that would enrage him. He said, you realize I could kill you right now if I wanted to. And that's when the Spirit of God rose in me. And I said, no, you can't. I said, I happen to be one of God's anointed and nothing is going to take me out of this world until God's appointed time. He said, preacher, you got guts. He said, I was just testing you anyway to see if you really believe what you say you believe. And I breathed a sigh of relief. And then he said, I really brought you out of here because I got a question for you. And I said, shoot. And then I thought, oh, what a horrible choice of words. I said, what's your question? He said, those people back there with you that were praying over those winos and those people there, they were speaking in strange languages. He said, what is that? I said, bull, that's called speaking in tongues. It's a language of prayer. He who speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not unto men, but unto God. And no man understands him. He said, that's strange. I said, why? He said, because that's the way I hear my mama praying every time I go home. She's in the back room praying that way. I said, Bull, your mama's prayers are about to get answered. He said, what do you mean by that? I said, you'll find out soon. Well, about an hour later, he was on his knees, praying through, getting saved, wept like a baby, born again. He showed up at our revival the next night with all those people from the bar that the overdose guy was crawling out of. It was called the Rock and Robin Bar. And he busted through the doors of the bar that night. They were those old Western-like doors. And he said, shut the place down. Everybody's going to church tonight. They said, "Bull, we don't want to go to church. He said, shut up. Get reverent. Get in line. You're going to church. He was the gang leader of the whole street. All the crime that went on, the prostitution ring, he was in charge of almost everything. And so people listened when he demanded. And he demanded they go to church that night. And they all sat on the front row. When the altar call was given, they were all in the altar seeking God. Revival broke out on Lexington Street. That's what the Jesus movement was like. It was an outbreak of a move of God in the most unexpected places. And I'm believing for that to happen again. It's time. The last decade has been an increase of immorality and uncleanness and blasphemous attitudes toward God and toward the gospel. It's time for God to move again. And I hope you're praying that way with me. So thank you for joining me on this episode of Revealing the True Life. But what I'm encouraging you to do is start reaching out like we did back in the Jesus Movement era. We were ready to preach the gospel everywhere and anywhere we went. And God gave great fruit for the Father's glory. If you'll be bold enough to try, you'll find out God will meet you there. Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light. And thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. 
Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shree's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.